Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Esther Brito from the Strategic Policy Group, and today we will be continuing our discussion on ethnic conflict and genocide. We've talked about what genocide is and what makes it such a distinct crime. So let's delve into the process genocides tend to follow and the implications this has for international response. Genocide is a complex phenomenon, and it may be difficult to identify in some cases. To address this, Professor Gregory H. Stanton, president of Genocide Watch and a major scholar in genocide education and prevention, famously identified 10 stages that genocides often follow. At each stage, there are preventative measures that can be implemented to stop it. The stages he identified are as follows. The first stage is classification, where people are distinguished into us and them categories, trying to divide societies into groups. The second is symbolization, where we assign names or symbols to distinguish people as members of these different groups. An example of this was the yellow star Jewish people were forced to wear under Nazi rule. The third stage is discrimination, whereby a dominant group uses laws and political power to deny the rights of other groups. This can restrict the group's civil rights, voting rights, or even citizenship. A current example of this is the denial of citizenship faced by the Rohingya minority in Myanmar. Fourth, we have dehumanization. Here, the dominant group denies the humanity of their targets, often equating them with animals, vermin, insects, or even diseases. Dehumanization is an imperative element of genocide, one that allows normal people to overcome the moral barrier against murder. The aim of this stage is to make the target group be perceived as non-human and thus not worthy of life. Sometimes this can mean taking away their names and branding them with numbers. Hate speech and propaganda echo these ideas, establishing the basis for the violence that will follow. Then, we reach the stage of organization. Genocides have traditionally been organized by the state, often using militias as a way to maintain deniability of their responsibility or involvement. For example, this is the case of the Sudanese government's support and arming of militias in Darfur. In this line, the stage of polarization occurs which seeks to drive groups apart. Propaganda intensifies, indoctrination in education and media against the target group ramps up. Laws may forbid social interaction, and extremists target moderates, intimidating, silencing, or eliminating the political center. Here, we can also often see the establishment of emergency laws to increase power beyond its normal limits and disarm members of the target groups. 
At this point, we arrive at the stage of preparation. This involves plans for killings, sometimes structured in the way of a so-called final solution. In many cases, political leaders advance claims of violence as self-defense and trying to make the attack seem like a necessity, calling on the, if we don't kill them, they will kill us, rhetoric. These plans can be precipitated by processes like peace accords or even elections that are seen to threaten the dominance of a group. This was the case of the Rwandan genocide, which began in the aftermath of the Arusha Accords. The eighth stage is persecution, where we see victims separated out, their property expropriated, and then segregated into ghettos or deported to camps. Here, the genocide is already in full effect, with death lists drawn up and instances of forced sterilization. The victim group's basic human rights become systematically abused, and massacres begin. We arrive thus at the most visible stage of genocide, extermination. Here, we often see instances of mass killings and mass rapes, the destruction of cultural and religious symbols, and the murder of all men of fighting age. In total genocides, this is taken to the extreme, and all the members of the targeted group are sought to be exterminated. Lastly, the final stage of genocide is denial. Those that have committed genocide attempt to hide their actions. They dig up mass graves, burn bodies, destroy evidence, intimidate survivors, and blame victims. They seek to make sure that what they have done is forgotten in history. These are the 10 stages of genocide, often overlapping or occurring in rapid succession. While genocides have and continue to change, these stages reappear as core markers of ongoing genocidal processes. As such, they hold the key to early identification and action. However, the awareness that genocide or crimes against humanity are happening is often not enough for the international community to respond. From sanctions to intervention, or even just public condemnation. What happens when we see violence occur and choose to do nothing? In our next episode, we will understand how the crime of genocide and the broader phenomena of ethnic conflict has challenged the international community to respond. To do so, we will explore some of the most important cases of genocide in recent history, the relationship between ethnic conflict and international legitimacy is crucial in today's world, and has even represented an existential crisis for the United Nations. Tune in to our next episode to delve deeper into this extreme version of ethnic conflict.